Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. Boy, is it one of those mornings. It is Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. I have just run from the other side of the house after unplugging and plugging back in the internet. I don't know if it's going to last us. We'll just have to wait and find out, but hopefully we get through this morning with no interruptions. I don't know what's going on technology. What can you say? It's certainly not because of cloud cover or anything like that. I don't know what the temperature is outside other than, wow, it is chilly out there and it feels like fall, but maybe it's that false fall thing because it's going to be in the 80s next week. But um, anyway, it is good to be with y'all this morning. I hope that everybody's week is progressing nicely. Boy, these weeks are flying by. How can it be Wednesday again? Nevertheless, if you are around on Wednesday, I'd encourage you to come to Bible study tonight at Old Providence. It's Bible study and prayer meeting, um, and uh, it's a great opportunity to be together midweek. Now, we need to pick up where we left off, and I need to make up some ground this morning because I went over the first couple of days, and we need to finish early today for that sake. But nevertheless, where we are picking up is at the end of the story, or as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story, right? The rest of the story is what actually happens to this man that was born blind. Where we've made it to thus far, of course, John chapter 9 starts with Jesus and the disciples going along. They see a man who was born blind, which, y'all, blindness was a serious affliction, okay? Um you know, as, as far as American Disabilities Act, that sort of thing. They certainly didn't have that 2,000 years ago in Israel. When someone went blind, that affected the entire course of their life, right? Usually, or a lot of times, it would result, result in them becoming beggars because they had no way to make a livelihood for themselves. But this man didn't go blind. This man was born blind. As a result, his disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, no, that's not how this works. God has done this. Well, I'll just read it, verse 3. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, um, interestingly enough, the initial thought that we have of this is, okay, the work of God might be displayed in his life obviously means Jesus healing him. Well, I think that's part of it. But that's not the whole work of God that Jesus is referencing. Today, we come to the full picture of the work of God that God was working in this man's life. And y'all, it's not just about God reaching him and Jesus healing him, physically speaking. It's him being healed, spiritually speaking. For what good would it be for Jesus to heal him of a temporary affliction and then yet to leave him as he was. Now, we know he's changed initially from this. Yesterday, we saw this interesting encounter. Um, two days ago, we saw the encounter between this man's parents and the Pharisees. They don't want anything to do with it. They say, hey, you ask him, he's of age, leave us out of it. And we find out why. Um, we know that, that this is the case because of verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for they already knew that the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. All right, so they're saying, you, uh -uh. Uh, we get to choose between Jesus and we get to choose between the synagogue. We choose the synagogue. 
Now, I'm not saying that, that there weren't serious ramifications for being thrown out of the synagogue. This is not just saying, oh, well, you're thrown out of Victory Synagogue. Well, now you can go to First Synagogue down the corner or you can go to Unity Synagogue. Uh, I remember um, the second little church that I pastored when I was a student, we went to a Christmas thing at, at Unity Baptist Church and uh, or no, 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 it was Fellowship Baptist Church. And I said, oh, this is a this is a beautiful, and it was, it was a beautiful building, but I could tell it wasn't that old. And I said, Where, when did this church start? And oh, that was the wrong question to ask. Because I said, well, such and such church split, and then such and such church split, and then Unity Church split, and then some of those people came over here, and it's like, wow, you know, do you get the irony? Unity split and fellowship started. So I don't, whatever, whatever. Um, that was not the paradigm going on. There weren't like multiple synagogues for, you know, different strokes for different folks kind of thing. No, 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 no. There was the synagogue. It was the center of the community. It was the center of economic livelihood, really. If you were kicked out of the synagogue, nobody could do business with you. Nobody could, could have interaction with you. It, it was terrible, y'all. But what's even worse is denying Jesus Christ. Better to be kicked out of the synagogue for a while than be kicked out of the kingdom of heaven for an eternity. They chose the synagogue. But this man that was born blind absolutely did not. He testified to Jesus. First, he said, he's a prophet. Then they brought him back and they said, all right, we, we know he's a sinner. Glorify God. Tell us the truth that he said. You didn't listen to me the first time. And now you want me to tell you again? Is it? Do you want to be his disciples too? Now, it's interesting that after that, the Pharisees answered the question that the disciples asked. The Pharisees answered it by, oh, no, no, it wasn't his parents. Um, to this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. But this man was cast out of the synagogue. He became shunned in society. He was the object of derision and all for the sake of Christ. And that's where we pick up today with one of the most encouraging verses, I think, in all of God's word. But let's pray first and then we'll read it. Our friends, uh, our God and our Father, as, as I come together with our friends this morning, what a blessing it is um, to have this time, to have your word, to have the opportunity and the technology. And I pray that the technology continues to work, that we can have this time together. Please bless us in it. Guide us by your Holy Spirit so that we would see the truth of your word, so that we would be encouraged by your word, and so that we would be prompted, prompted with a greater sense of urgency about testifying to your greatness, realizing that this life is not all there is, that in fact, this life is a glimmer and we can't even understand eternity, but it's coming. Help us to live in light of eternity, to do that which your Son and our Savior said, to store up for ourselves treasures, not here, where moth and rust destroy and the thief breaks in and steals, but instead in eternity, where there is no corruption. So please guide us now by your Holy Spirit, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, y'all, verse 35, we're going to finish John chapter 9 today. Again, John's got these long chapters. But verse 35, I'm telling you, one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. This is right after they threw the man that was born blind yet had been healed. It's right after they threw him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found them, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? All right. 
pause right there. As I alluded to in my prayer, as I just said, to me, this is one of the most encouraging verses in all of God's word. You might be saying, okay, why? Y'all, it's this paradigm that is present here where we shouldn't just read it in light of the physical day-to-day stuff of Jesus's earthly ministry. But the idea that Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, there's a lot built into that. And the fact that Jesus then went and found him. There's a whole lot built into that, y'all. You know, it seems like people are torn and fall on one end of the spectrum or the other. On one end of the spectrum, when people consider God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, the Trinity, they look at the power aspect. They look at the might. They look at the glory. They look at the majesty. And as a result, they have such an elevated view of who God is, that God is not only, or or can God not only sometimes be unapproachable, sometimes God can be aloof, so focused on the grand scheme of his sovereign will exercise, holding the universe in the palm of his hand, that they can miss the personal God. And then on the other end of the spectrum, and both of these would be wrong, but on the other end of the spectrum, God is so personal that Jesus is your chum. And as R.C. Sproul put it, he, he is the greatest friend you will ever have, but he's not your chum, right? He's not the I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, God, and we're all just trying to make it through this together. What if God was one of us, just a stranger on a bus, just a slob like one of us trying to make his way home, like a holy rolling stone? You know, that's the other end of the spectrum. Which one is it? The answer is neither. Certainly. God is majestic in all of his glory and power. He oversees the events of mankind. He does sustain and maintain the universe around us, but he knows you. He knows your struggles. Well, yes, this applies to Jesus' earthly ministry and this course of action, this this dialogue, all of these things that we've read in chapter 9. While this is a personal thing with Jesus, It points to God's character in that God knows when we struggle. And as it was when Jesus sought out the man who was born blind, so God seeks us out. And God doesn't have to look far. You know why? Because of the promise of the Spirit, because of the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's one of the reasons that God has given us the Spirit, that we are never far off from God. Now, that's for those of us that belong to him, that have received the Holy Spirit. But if you don't belong to him, then it's not that you're far off from God. You just don't belong to him. You don't have the promise of his Spirit to counsel, to help, to go before you, to to pray when you don't know how to pray. We're not going to get into all the promises of the Holy Spirit But y'all, this shows the value of this personal God that we have. And we ought to be encouraged about the fact that not only did Jesus know what this man had faced, Jesus went looking for him. That's the God that we serve. We don't follow the God of Muhammad and others that that they go out looking for God and they, they find God in a trance in a cave or they find God in a vision under a tree. 
Y'all, we don't go out looking for God. God comes looking for us. And doesn't that point to who he really is? Like the good shepherd. Like the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes out in search of the one. This is who God is. What you see from Jesus here is purely who Jesus is. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Now, I've alluded to the fact that all along that this man is testifying in as much as he knows. He calls Jesus a prophet first, right? Doesn't really know Jesus. His encounter with him is very limited, okay? Doesn't know Jesus, but he believes in him, right? Doesn't understand exactly who Jesus is. Verse 36, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And y'all, this too has very important implications. This is a Romans 10 moment. How will people believe if they don't hear the message? How will they hear the message if it isn't preached? How will it be preached if the preachers aren't sent? And as that relates to you, there are people in your life who are ripe for the harvest. They are ready to be brought into the fold of God. But nobody is saved without hearing the gospel. This man wants to believe, but he needs to know the truth. This is the paradigm of salvation. You know, we don't save anybody. We really don't. We there is no way that we have the power to regenerate someone's soul because that's how we're saved, right? Acts chapter two, Peter preached, but the men were cut to the heart. Peter didn't cut them to the heart. That was the Holy Spirit. The men were cut to the heart and said, what must we do to be saved? We don't do that cutting to the heart business. God prepares that, but we got to tell people. We've got to give them the necessary knowledge to know who Jesus Christ is. That's what's revealed here. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Verse 37, Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. As a side note. If you're really wondering if Jesus is claiming to be God here, you know, again, the, the Mormons and others do all these linguistic acrobatics and, oh, no, no, Jesus never said he was God. <laughs> Come on, y'all. The Pharisees wouldn't be picking up stones. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. You think they were stoning him because of grammar? Come on. There are some people that would do that. But nevertheless, nevertheless, that's not what's going on with the various. Jesus claimed to be God. And if you ever doubted that, right here, Jesus accepts this man's worship. You go throughout all of the scripture. There is only one who ever accepts worship. It's never angels, except for fallen ones. Only God accepts worship. There's different instances in the Old Testament where people try to worship angels. They're like, no, 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 not me, not me. Don't worship me. Angels always point to God. Prophets, when there are those that wanted to build monuments to him and worship them, the prophets always pointed to God and said, do not worship me. This is for God. Only worship God. And yet Jesus accepts his worship. 
That means one of two things. Well, you could throw in a third. Either Jesus is a false prophet accepting worship. Either Jesus is a fallen angel accepting worship. Or number three, Jesus is God. That's the only way he'd accept worship. And he did. But you'll notice how this works. The man was told the Lord had worked in his heart and he was ready to accept. And Jesus' final words are, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment <clears throat> I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now, <clears throat> this is interesting. It's kind of cryptic here. We find out that some of the Pharisees were there and heard him are going to remark on this. But this also ought to do away with the whole idea of the I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, God. Now, Jesus has made statements up to this point of, I judge no one. Again, y'all, I told you back then that this had nothing to do with his ultimate responsibility of judge. That had everything to do with the moment that he was dealing with. But Jesus is revealing something about why we tell the gospel, why we tell others about him. First and foremost, we tell others about Jesus so that they will hear and believe. But y'all, even when they don't, we should never grow discouraged. Um, we can be disappointed, but we should never grow discouraged and we should never conclude, well, you know what, I'm just going to leave this evangelism to somebody else. Because we tell the truth first for hearts to be changed, but second, for people to be convicted. That's what Jesus is ultimately pointing to here. That's this business where he said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see. In other words, so that people that were dead, that were blind in their sin would see and know the truth. And at the same time, so that those who claim to see, you know, that's the idea that will be blind. Never stop telling the truth. God will use the gospel no matter how the person reacts to it, either to save them to work in their hearts and prepare them for the next person to tell. We don't know. We only see a small portion of God's will at work. But sometimes God uses the truth to convict. To that end, verse 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard what he said, heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about the fact that they have seen Jesus, that very clearly this truth is staring right at them. And yet they have willfully become blind and accept and rejected the truth. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And really and truly, this man that was born blind can see more than they had ever seen because he's seen the Lord. Have you? You know, this idea of following God, sometimes we turn into things that it shouldn't be. Lists to follow that are arbitrary. You know, we pick and choose what we think is real important. All sorts of things. Y'all, it's just this. Believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he's been raised from the dead, and worshiping him. Worshiping him with your life. Being willing to tell the truth of him. Obeying and leaving the consequences to him. Will you do that? Are you doing that is a better question. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would convict our hearts by it, that we would count the cost of following you, count the cost of testifying to your greatness. And may we be found among the faithful. 
And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Monica and Becky and Rose, and there's Denise and Alice and Rebecca, uh, the other Becky, yes, and Christine again. And, and there is Elizabeth. Thank you all so much. Again, Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning. Until then, have a great Wednesday.